Well, as I said, we're starting a, a two-part series this week and next week to get us ready. He is worthy, and the this today's message is our heart for every missionary. Next week's message is going to be God's heart for every language. So next week we're going to get ourselves ready for the Maconde celebration upstairs by taking a look at God's heart for every language. And so, but turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16 and take a look at this chapter. Now, what's amazing about this chapter is it's kind of an overlooked chapter. Why? Because it comes after one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, right? And on the resurrection. But what I want you to see is that this chapter is a snapshot of the very last verse in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So you got this lofty chapter on the resurrection, and then he brings it down to a practical application, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Look at what it says there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's, the, that's what the resurrection doctrine in 15 ought to do in our lives. But what does that look like in personal, individual lives and in a local church? Well, you move into chapter 16 and it plays that out. So look at chapter 16. Always abound in the work of the Lord. So I'm just giving you an overview of chapter 16. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And in the first nine verses of chapter 16, he talks about stewardship. Stewardship, always abound in giving to the Lord. But stewardship is more than just giving financially. It's also showing hospitality. And there's also the giving of, of giving the gospel, okay? And that's all in verses 1 through 9. Then you come into verses 10 through 8, always abounding in serving. Always abound in honoring those who abound. On, uh, always abound in enduring in abounding. And that's hard. When you're abounding in the Lord, it's easy to start doing it in the power of the flesh and not the power of the Spirit. And then here's where we're going to be planning ourselves, refreshing God's sent ones, missionaries. The chapter goes on. Out of refreshment comes shared community, verses 19 through 20. Greeting one another, uh, building community in small groups. And then it ends on this note of abounding in sovereign grace. How is all this abounding possible? It's due to God's grace in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where are we in our church year? Well, here's where we are in our church year. Every year we get to celebrate our local, how our local serving should impart global sending. That's where we are, right before our world outreach celebration. We are to celebrate how our local serving should impact global sending. And when you look at this chart, you realize that almost all of this can be related to what our world outreach celebration is about. So think about it. Abounding in stewardship. 
when we talk about giving, this passage actually is often used in, to apply to faith promise giving. Showing hospitality. We are showing hospitality to our missionaries. We are putting them up in a very nice hotel. We're taking care of their meals. We're, we're showing the love of Christ. Proclaiming the gospel. Our world outreach celebration is not just about getting the gospel to other nations. It's about you and I sharing the gospel right here at home. And so you think about that. But then think about the serving. And that's what I, we prayed about this. We're here to serve them. It's not just a spectator sport. It's not just a week where we just get to hear how they've worked hard. It's an opportunity for us to serve one another and to serve our children and to serve our missionaries. And then, of course, refreshing is at the heart of what we want to talk about today. But even the building community. This idea of greeting one another, probably the most fundamental thing you can do is go up to our missionary guests and introduce yourself and greet them and just tell them, hey, I'm glad you're here. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you not only before this week, but I pray for you when your prayer requests and your videos are shown. And then the small groups, that's what our impact nights are for. So on Wednesday and Friday, you have opportunity in a little smaller group to interact with them and to be able to know their hearts. And, of course, all of this is done to stand strong in the gospel. So you can really see how in chapter 16, it's all there. Now, here's what I want us to focus on, though. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 and 18. Here's where I want you to focus. 1 Corinthians 16, 17, and 18. For I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take those two verses, and I want to give you four reminders about refreshing the heart of every missionary. So this gets us in a mindset, in our attitude. This is what we come here uh, during World Outreach. And it's not just one time. Every time we come, every time you come on these nights of World Outreach, come with these four reminders in your heart, in your mind. Are you ready? Here we go. Four reminders about refreshing the heart of every missionary. First reminder is this. Missions is meant to be relational. Missions is meant to be relational. In fact, let's read that together. First principle is missions. Let's uh, read it together. Like, like all at once. <laughs> All at the same time. Missions is meant to be relational. There you go. That's the principle. And it's in verse 17. Look at verse 17. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. He's individually, they're in person. What is Paul rejoicing over? Now, here's what's amazing. What is he rejoicing over? He's rejoicing, look in your text, He's rejoicing over their coming, their arrival. 
The Greek word that he uses there, and I don't often give you Greek definitions, but I'm doing it here because it's one you may be familiar with. The Greek word is perusia, perusia, which is often mentioned or used in relation to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that second coming of Christ tells you everything you need to know about the use of this word. When Christ comes, what's it going to be like? It's going to be personal. It's going to be physical, bodily presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be us, the Bible says, face to face with our Savior. And that's what Paul is rejoicing over. He is Paul is continually rejoicing over the fact that these men are present in person with him. In a sense, he's saying this, I am continually rejoicing over the fact that these men are here present with me. Missions is meant to be relational. Now, why is Paul rejoicing over their rival? Well, I think there's two reasons. And the first one is the obvious one, and the one we tend to think about is they are supplying, according to this verse, what is lacking on the part of the church of Corinth. That's what he says in verse 17. They are supplying what is lacking. But the question we need to ask of the text is what was lacking on the part of the Corinthians, and what was it? that Paul needed, and he needed two things. First of all, resources, for sure. He needed resources. And that's what we tend to think about when we think about missions. Uh, More than likely, they brought financial funds for traveling, for food, for the furtherance of Paul's missionary works. And I always love our, our global partner, Richard Lewis, uh, who said this, and I've never forgotten, God can't, uh, missionaries can't live on a God bless you. Missionaries can't live on a God bless you. It takes money to move missions. And we see it all throughout Paul's teaching. But the second thing that was lacking was relationships even more so. Paul is rejoicing not merely over the money that was provided, but the relationships of these three men that I'm going to call the terrific trio, these three men, because it's far easier than pronouncing their names every time. But this is seen in various translations. I think I have this in your notes. Um, If you look at some of these other translations that do a little paraphrasing to get the point across, but notice the ESV and the CSB says, I rejoice at the coming of the terrific trio because they have made up for your absence. I like that. The NLT says, I'm very glad that the terrific trio have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't here to give. The emphasis on physical presence. And then the Net Bible says this, I was glad about the uh, the arrival of the terrific trio because they have supplied the fellowship with you that I lacked. That I lacked. The idea being, Paul wanted to be physically present with the Corinthians. He couldn't be. They obviously couldn't all come to be with him, but through these three men and their physical presence, he's rejoicing 
in those relationships. Now, the relational, the relational element of missions is all throughout the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters. Listen to 2 Corinthians. This is the second letter, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.9, where Paul says this, When I was present with you, and I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone, for when the brethren came from Macedonia. Now he's talking about churches like the church at Philippi. When the brethren from Macedonia came, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. What Paul is saying is this, that the resources that he needed so that he wouldn't be a burden to the church at Corinth came through the relationships that he had built in Macedonia. So it's a it's the idea of financial support, but in the context of relationships. Listen then to Philippians 2.30, this one of the churches from Macedonia. Here's what he says, referring to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus came close to death, Philippians 2.30, came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So here's the idea that sacrificial, life-threatening ministry was done in the context of Epaphroditus being present there with Paul. So think about it. Basically saying this, Philippians, you need to honor this guy because this guy was willing to risk his very life to provide what you wanted to give to me and what I needed. So kind of the question here is, how much am I willing to sacrifice? How much am I to the point where I would even risk my life to support, relate, and refresh the hearts of our missionaries. And the last thing I want to do is guilt you or shame you with that, but it's right here in the Bible, okay? We can't, we can't just read over that and think, oh, that was cool, Epaphroditus was in a class by himself, right? No, this guy was willing, in the context of relationships, to sacrifice his very life to represent his church and provide the resources that Paul needed. You know, Paul would often write to churches that he had planted, and he would write things like he does in verse 7. Look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 16. Notice what he says. He's already written this before he got to 17 and 18. He says, well, let's, let's pick it up in verses 5, 6, and 7. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. Okay, after I hang with the Philippians and other churches for a while, I'm going to come in person to you, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. Then look at verse 7. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you 
for some time if the Lord permits. This is Paul's philosophy of missions. This is his philosophy of ministry. It's time spent together in person, okay? Time spent together. And it wasn't just Paul's passion, the Apostle John. I I would say to you that doing the Lord's work in the context of relationships is an apostolic passion. And here's why. Here's, listen to how the Apostle John ends Second John and how he ends his letter, Third John. In Second John 12, he says, Though I have many things to write you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. Now, here's what he's saying. I could write, I've got pen, I've got scroll, and now more than ever, we've got texting and and all these ways of of long-distance communication, right? But he's saying, i much rather do it face-to-face because there's a joy and a refreshment that only comes in in in-person relationships. John, uh, 3 John 14, he says, I hope to see you shortly and will speak face to face. Now, there are things that happen in person that don't happen any other way. That's what we need to remember. There's things that happen in person. Like we could go through and videotape all the world outreach, and you could sit and watch that in your home. But there's things that happen in person. At each one of these events, there are things that potentially and I think divinely definitely will happen that cannot happen any other way. And this even relates to the second coming. 1 Corinthians 13, same letter, chapter 13. This is what our eschatology is built on. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. And then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. So think about what he's saying. He's saying, look, as long as the Lord's up there and we're down here and we're not in his presence, we look through a glass dimly and we only know in part. But the second that we are in his presence, and there's, there's a lot of dynamics and theology that go into that. But what I want you to see is even in our anticipation of the second coming, there will be something that will happen in person that simply cannot happen any other way. So what's my point? Well, I hope you got it. Missions is meant to be relational. And then think about this. How could it be any other way? When the greatest missionary, or let me ask you, who is the greatest missionary of all time? Paul? Who's the greatest missionary of all time? He's a great one. He's the greatest human one. Who's the greatest missionary of all time? Jesus. Yes, the junior church answer wins the day. It's Jesus. Why? Because Philippians 2 God, here's a world of lost sinners in another culture, in another uh, sphere of the of, of the you know the cosmos, and God sends sends His only begotten Son to be the ultimate missionary. But how did He do it? He sent Him as the God Man in person. 
The Father didn't send an angel with a message. He could have. He sent His only begotten Son in human flesh. And when Jesus was assigned that task, and when He voluntarily submitted to that task of being a missionary to this lost planet, He didn't shout down to us from heaven, Hey, turn or burn. Get saved. I am the one. He didn't do that. He humbled Himself, Philippians 2. And He became one of us. And He lived among us in relationship with all that entailed. The tiredness, He knows it. The busyness, He knows I can take you to the Gospels. He knows tiredness. He knows busyness. He knows struggles with priorities. He, know, he knows relational conflict. Now, He knows all this without sin, right? But He knows it. Because he was here in relationship. Listen, there's nothing that you are tempted by or struggling with in terms of being here in this coming week that Jesus doesn't understand. Secondly, that Jesus wasn't faithfully ministered through. And three, that Jesus won't supply his grace to enable you to do that. So, here's the thing. We have an explosion of technology now more than ever, you know, but technology is a two edged sword, is it not? It can be really good and it can be really bad. And if COVID taught us anything, it's that there is great blessing in being able to use technology, but there's also great curses that come with that. And it's no substitute for in person ministry. So I don't want you to get the idea that I'm anti-technology, but what I'm saying is that there is something about being in person. So let me say this. One of the main reasons that we have a five-day world outreach celebration, I'm talking, uh, you know, we we have Sunday. You're already going to be here next week. I'm talking Wednesday through Sunday, all right? The reasons that we have that is that missions should be relational. So both we as a church and our missionary guests should say at the end of these five days, right? They should say, I'm continually rejoicing over the fact that these men and women have been here present with us. They should say that about us. We should say that about them. And together we should rejoice in that. Now, Who's coming? Well, let's take a look at the insert. You got the insert there in front of you. And let's talk a little bit. And I'll be a little guarded in how I say this because this is recorded. So we got two missionaries that are coming from Europe. And we have two missionaries coming from East Asia in uh, creative access countries. And so we have the Gandhis. We've had a long-term relationship with them. Uh, we've walked with them through financial struggles to main support, uh, maintain support, and we've helped them with that. Uh, we took one of our Romanian teams on our flight back from Romania. We took, went to Germany, and we uh, walked through the place where their church now exists, and it was a dump. I mean, it was like an abandoned building, and now that is where that church is, and, and Keith is going to be our uh, vision challenge. He's going to do our vision challenge on Wednesday night. 
and I've already heard what he's going to say, and it's going to be good. You want to be here on that Wednesday night. And then they have uh, some exciting news to share with us about their ministry. And then um, Bill and Vicki here are missionaries in the Midlands of England. We've had a long-term relationship with them. We've walked with them through it relationally from Dominican Republic to Wales to Midlands, England. And they're facing a very, very, very difficult time with a transitioning back uh, with Vicki's mom having Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's. How would you like all of that and 24-7 care? And so they'll be sharing about that. And then uh, Silas and Riley, which you already heard from this morning, uh, we got to know them. They're in a restricted access country. We got to know them uh, when Silas was single and his pre-COVID haircut or non-haircut. And uh, we got to know him when he was single. And then he met his wife on deputation, which is, you know, like, you know, deputation isn't usually, well, anyway, he got a double blessing there, support and a wife. And, uh, and the rest is history. So they were newlyweds on the mission field, as you guys know. And they have uh, this beautiful baby boy, I believe, on the way. And so, again, difficulties, blessings. You know, I said, hey, how'd that go? You know, how'd that go being newlyweds? Think about being newlyweds in the country that they're in. Okay, and most of you know where that is. And, uh, and uh, Riley said, well, it was, it was hard which is probably the understatement of the year. It was hard, but it was good because we had no one else we could go to with our problems. You know, we had to look at each other and work it out. And it's during COVID, you know. So if you're going to have a fight, you know, you better resolve it because you're not going anywhere. And then uh, Chad and Stephanie with their uh, two beautiful kids, Campbell, who's going is 15 are going to be 15 by the time they get here, and Kaysen is 13. Again, restricted access country. And I just want to say, each of these couples, they've been through COVID in different ways. They each have different stories. I'll let you come so that you can hear their stories. But each faced unique struggles and challenges just like you, just like we did. And then Scott Nutter as well. And uh, if you know, some of, how many of you have met Scott before? Okay, about half of you. So Scott came and did our World Changer seminar. He's with Faith Comes by Hearing, and he will be here. And we're going to hear from him actually next Sunday as well. And uh, he's got some exciting news about the Maconde translation and, and just the further distribution of it. You need to come. That's Thursday on the World Changer seminar where we'll have pizza and uh, salad so you can get here a little early and he's got i would say in i i haven't looked recently how many years we've done the world changer seminar but i would say scott was probably our top one of our top responses to him on what he presented and i don't think you will be disappointed but listen what makes this relational is you being here me being here Because they're going to be here. Lord willing, they are going to be here. But it's us being here. And really, I think about how many times I have heard from people in our church who came to our church, and Polos are an example of this, came to our church, 
hadn't ever had a missions experience like the World Outreach Celebration and came, and it just kind of transforms and revolutionized your view of missions. Why? Because missions is meant to be relational. That's the whole idea. So I just want you to say, I don't know what God has for you, but I know on the other side of that uh, uh, handout is the schedule. But potentially, and I know not everybody can do this. This isn't, you know, you got to go before the Lord and he's got to lead and direct you. But I'm telling you, if you're able to make the sacrifice and the commitment to come to every one of those events, there is the possibility and the potential and the providential blessing of a relational encounter that will change your life and more so be a blessing to the missionaries. So that brings me to the second reminder about refreshing hearts, and it's this. Missions is meant to be reciprocal. Reciprocal. Reciprocal means one another. The biblical word for reciprocal ministry is one another's. You do it to me, I do it to you, and it's a one another type idea. Look at verse 18. This is huge on verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. My spirit and yours. That's the reciprocal. So let me give you two observations from this text. The first is this. Global missions is simply local ministry done in a different place or with a different people group. So global missions is simply local ministry that you do in a different place, geographical location, or a different people group. So you can go down to the northeast of Kansas City, and we've taken, I've taken my grow group there. We've taken uh, tours down there and done ministry down there. You can go there, and you're in the same location of Kansas City, but you're a, among a variety of different people groups, okay? So you don't, it's not just going to a different nation or a different country. It's crossing cultural barriers, but you simply do local ministry in a different place. So you say, what's, what's the significance of that? Well, it's this. Getting on an airplane or crossing the ocean doesn't make you a superhero. And it doesn't make you a dedicated servant of God. When you cross the ocean or you go to the mission field and you arrive there, guess who's there? You. The same you that was back here. And crossing the ocean doesn't, is not a transformative experience to where you become something other than you already were here at home. It's easy to go on a short-term missions campaign and get emotionally charged up uh, and, and see God do great things somewhere else. But the real test, if God has moved in your heart, is when you come back here home And do you minister with the same excitement, the same commitment, the same eagerness that you did when you were over there? You see, it's only when you come back on that plane and you come home 
It's only then will it be revealed just how much the Lord worked in your hearts. And through the years, we've had to have that reminder. We've had to have that reminder that, hey, you're all excited. But listen, you know, this is human nature. Go on a great missions experience, come back and ask the question, where are we going to go to next? Where are we going to go to next? I'm, I'm going. Well, in between that, there's going to come a year or two years. The question is, are you praying more? Are you giving more to missions? Are you praying for the missionaries? Are you going with that passion to evangelize here at home? You see, the terrific trio of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus did for Paul in Ephesus the same thing that they did in their own church back in Corinth. He's writing from Ephesus, and these three guys came from Corinth, and they did for him in person what they had already been doing at their church. You say, Chris, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 15. comes right before 16 and 17. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that's the guy that he just mentioned, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they devoted themselves for the ministry of the saints. So Stephanus was doing locally what he then went to Ephesus to do in another geographical location. And that brings me to the second principle, and it's this, serving God's sent ones. Missionaries are sent out. They're sent ones. Serving God's sent ones will refresh their heart and ours at the same time. It will refresh their heart and ours at the same time. This is what I mean by reciprocal. You give and you take. It's back and forth. It's one another. So here's part of what Paul is saying here. You sent the terrific trio to refresh my spirit, and in doing so, they have refreshed your spirit knowing that my spirit has been refreshed. Because notice, in that verse... In uh, verse 18, there's three groups of people. They, the terrific trio, you, the Corinthians, and me, Paul. And he's saying, these guys ministering to me has refreshed you guys back in Corinth and me in Ephesus. Because that's how ministry works. It's other-centered. And when we refresh them, they're going to refresh us. And we're all going to leave World Outreach refreshed. Now, there's other examples I can give you, but if you've ever been on a missions campaign or short-term missions, we inevitably, I wish I had 100 bucks for every time someone came back and said, we went there to minister them, but what? But they ministered to us more. That's reciprocal, Okay. I would love to have 100 bucks for every time a missionary has said to me after leaving our World Outreach celebration, there's something unique about the way you guys do this, that we are, this has been so refreshing, so relaxing. We are so thankful. We can't wait, you know, to be back with you. This was refreshing. You know, old Silas, I mean, he signs up like for every event that we have for our men. He, him and his dad signed up for the men's conference and their schedule got mixed up. But they, why? Because it's refreshing. 
refreshing. And that's what Paul says in Romans 1, 8 through 12. He says to the Romans, I can't wait there to impart some spiritual gift to you so that I may be encouraged by your faith and you may be encouraged by my faith. It's a two-way street. So, well, let me, and then let me, I, I think I shared this two years ago, but let me share this. Here's how relational and reciprocal, reciprocal missions work. So, Chris Ballinger's older daughter said to him, I think this was two years ago when they were here, said, Dad, I like coming to this church because they talk to me like I'm a human. Now, if you've ministered to third culture kids or missionary kids, that's like the highest compliment. And you say, well, of course we would. Well, how would? Well, no, there's weird ways that Christians relate to missionaries and missionary kids. Asking weird questions that aren't, that, you know, we won't go there. But the idea, that is like the highest compliment to our church that you could get. Dad, I like going there. This church talks to me like I'm a human. And it goes from the kids to the actual missionaries to the wives, the husbands, the whole thing. That brings me to a third principle, and it's this. The third reminder is missions is meant to be refreshing. Missions is meant to be refreshing. When missions is relational, when missions is reciprocal, Not just you come and be a blessing, but I want to be a blessing to you. It's not just about the male missionary. It's about the female missionary. It's not just about married missionaries. It's about single missionaries. It's not just about the adults. It's also about the kids. When it's reciprocal, then it becomes refreshing. So look again at verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. That's the goal. That's the goal. This word refresh means to cause someone to gain relief from toil, to give them rest, to to refresh them, and to revive them. We just had the women's revive conference. It's to revive them. And such rest and refreshment is only found in one way. Okay? You and I can't manufacture that. We got to pray about it. And we have to do it through Christ. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So listen, as you find your rest in Christ, you have the resources to refresh others in Christ. Okay? We're, we're ministering out of the overflow of our own relationship with Christ. In a real way, you don't prepare for world outreach a week in advance, a month in advance. You prepare for this week every day of your life and every week that you are here at our church because we want to refresh them out of our own relationship with Christ. Now, Christ is going to do the refreshment, but he uses means, and the means he uses is you and me. So turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to use you and me. He's going to use you and me. 
I'll be your neighbor. He's going to use you and me. That's how he's going to refresh hearts. Okay, he's going to use people. He's always used his people. He used Philemon. Here's what Paul says about Philemon. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. This is what Paul said about Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. He says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So here's a reminder. Paul needed refreshment. So, Angela, you were spot on. The greatest human missionary, I agree with you. Greatest human missionary is Paul. And guess what? He needed refreshment. He needed refreshment. So here's my principle. I took a lot of time to develop this slide. Missionaries are not superheroes like in a comic book. Missionaries are not superheroes. And I was fair. I got DC and Marvel in there. Okay. So... According to my daughter, it's all about Marvel, but I guess there are two of them. I grew up D.C., so I, I just grew up Batman, Superman. I didn't even know that. I mean, I didn't even know. Yeah, I don't even know it. I don't know much of anything about these guys. But here's the thing. Think about superheroes. And it's common. It's common among pastors. And don't look down on anyone that says this. We understand what they mean when they say missionaries are heroes. You know, missionaries are my heroes. And in the good sense, what they mean by that is what Paul's saying in this passage. Acknowledge such men and women. Acknowledge them. Honor them. I mean, he says that in verse 15. He says, uh, I, I urge you, brethren, that they, uh, that verse 16, that you be subject to such men and to everyone who helps in the works. And honor, acknowledge them. Verse 18, therefore acknowledge. So if you're talking about acknowledging their sacrifice, their commitment, that's a great way to use hero. The bad way, though, is to put them on a pedestal as though they're not human. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen Superman sit down to eat a meal? No. I mean, do you ever see Robin say to Batman in the Batmobile, hey, could you pull over? I need to go to the bathroom. No, they don't have any human needs. They don't have any human. I mean, they're just, you know, they don't even have pockets in their in their outfits, right? They just, you know, they just run around. I mean, I, I don't know. And sometimes, listen, if you don't get personal with missionaries, you tend to think they're the same way because we read about them every week, and it seems like, you know, some of them share. Oh, yeah, they're kind of discouraged, but it's this, you know, this victory and this challenge. Uh, I love what God is doing with uh, our church planner in Amsterdam. And uh, for the last uh, four years, is it, I think it's four, four, or last two years. Maybe it's two years. I know I think it's four. But anyway, I always tell, when I talk to that missionary, I always say, I want you to tell us about the previous four years. I want to tell you, because if you get the impression, oh, they just like landed on the plane in Amsterdam and up sprouted this church and it was so easy and they never wanted to quit. No, these guys aren't superheroes. They are human like us. They are broken like us. They're crackpots like us that allow the grace of God to shine through their brokenness. And I can tell you, even in my own life, 
that RWOC, this time of October, is some of my greatest memories in 31 years at this church have come during World Outreach Celebration. I shared with you last week, I used this time to dedicate myself, my family, my daughter, offer her up to the Lord. But it's also been some of my worst times. There have been very difficult memories of this time of year and going through this time. Uh, I remember going through this time when my uh, mom was literally in the hospital for 10 straight months and just, you know, going through that difficulty. I remember eight years ago walking through a deep, dark valley with Gwen during this time. Very, very difficult. We've had other challenges. Last year, we both got COVID, and I missed. And the first time that we've been, uh, the last 20, we've been doing World Outreach Celebration in this way for 23 years. First time I ever missed that. But what I'm saying is this. If you wait for your life to be easy and trouble-free before you commit to this, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And yet, during that one time, we were walking through this deep valley with Gwen and I. We were walking through this valley. God arranged for every person on my ordination council who were mostly missionaries, who were living in other countries and cities in a three-month time orchestrated to where they all came through to refresh our hearts. What am I trying to say? When you put him first and you come to refresh others, God will refresh you in the process. Amen? I hope you have a testimony like that as well. Well, finally, the last principle is this. Missions is meant to be a cause for rejoicing. Missions is meant to be a cause for rejoicing. John Piper said, is famous for saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. Notice what he says here in verse 17. I rejoice. I rejoice. That should be the result is Piper wrote uh, his book on missions and he titled it, Let the Nations Be Glad. Because ultimately missions isn't simply about relationships with other people. It's not simply about reciprocal relationships. It's not simply about us being refreshed and them being refreshed. Ultimately, it's about the glory of God and spreading the fame of his name to all the nations. And so that's why our theme this year is He is Worthy. Because coming out of this COVID and coming out of this pandemic and coming out of the chaos that is in our culture, uh, pray for these poor missionaries, especially ones that, stay, that were able to stay on the field during COVID. I mean, they're coming back here to the States and it's crazy town. You know, they're having reverse culture shock. You know, Keith Gandy, I I don't know if he's going to make it here by the time he gets here. It is reverse culture shock. But Piper's point is this. We do all this. Missions exist because joy in God's person and presence and purposes does not exist. Why is Paul continually rejoicing? Ultimately, it's this. He's rejoicing because he sees in the abounding service of these three men, and through them, the church at Corinth, a people who are devoted to God's glory and the spread of the gospel to all peoples. So I end with this. You too can refresh God's heart of God's people. So I want you to think. Let this lesson 
devote yourself to serving the saints, not just our missionaries, but our people here at our church. Dedicate your resources to refreshing hearts. And perhaps the most precious resource that we have in this day and age is time. Life has accelerated. Uh, Technology doesn't give you more time. It eats up more of your time. And so dedicate your time. Dedicate your resources. And then determine to refresh the hearts of God's sent ones. So on the back of of that, you have the schedule. Pray over that. Prioritize that. And let these four reminders go with you. Amen? Missions is relational. And everything flows out of that. But ultimately, it's relational for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are humbled that you would send your son to become one of us, to relate to us. And though we have never seen him, we believe in him. We believe on him. We wait for him and we long for the day when we will see him face to face. And we will be known fully just as we are known. But, Father, we pray that this world outreach will be a little taste of that and that we will be here with these four reminders. Lord, refresh our hearts. Refresh the hearts of our missionaries and do it for your glory because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.